Welcome to the Erase and Shame podcast, the May 2022 edition. And I am thrilled that it's the month of May. It's Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month and Mental Health Month. So we're going to talk about both. I'm joined by my special guest, Robin Tamanaha. And she is a therapist here in Orange County. And maybe one of these days we'll meet up in person, especially now that's post-COVID. But thank you for making time to chat with me. Yeah, thank you for, for having me on. I love the podcast. So I was so excited to do this with you. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I was inspired by Joe Rogan. And so I just wanted to have a conversation with you, not for three hours, just 30 minutes for the first try and see how our audience responds. And if they want more of us talking, we'd be um, open to making up more time for that. And you're a prolific um, writer and reader and podcaster. So we'll, we'll explore all of that as well as being a therapist. So I don't know how you find all the time to do that. But um, let's start with the month of May since we're here. Uh, we're recording on May 4th. So may the 4th be with you. And I hope to release it before the end of the week. But what, what does the month of May, uh, what meaning does it hold for you? Are you doing anything special this month? Yeah, I'm still making plans. Um, I can't believe it's May already, actually. I feel like the months are going by super quickly, but mm-hmm. love, um, love May. And it's for me, it's great because API, like you said, API and mental health. So this is, this is wonderful. Um, you know, and I think for me, like, it's interesting. You know, we have these months, you know, that are like observances and, you know, all that. But I feel like, I mean, for me, this is something I honor every month, you know, and sometimes mm. every week. It, um, so I don't know if it looks too different. Um, I think if anything, I'm probably going to have, as you can see behind me, a huge stack of books, um, probably read a little more API authors uh, that have been on my TBR. Um, but yeah, it's kind of something I already, I already do. So, you know, I feel like I honor that through um, not just like the, the work I do with my clients, but like connection with other API and um, just immersing myself in everything. And I think for me, it's also, you know, it's a little, it's kind of general like API, but, you know, keeping in mind yes. too, like all the differences amongst us, you know, not just, you know, um, you know, culturally, ethnicity, you know, ethnicity and all that, but even, you know, generationally, I feel like it's, it's so complex. It's hard for me to also mm-hmm. encompass and just like API. I feel like there's so many layers and I think maybe yes. it'll just be me getting to know more of those layers with everybody. Yes. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm Chinese American and then you're Japanese American. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Issei, Sansei, Nisei, what generation? So I think about it, I believe it goes on the father's side, right? So for me, it'd be San Say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I came to the U.S. I was eight, so I have a traditional immigrant upbringing story. My parents run a motel and restaurant business growing up, and that's that's my background. And they worked hard to make a living, and then. I became a computer engineer and dabbled in theology and seminary and Christian work and wound up spending most of my time in nonprofit world. So now I'm age 55. So I'm thinking about, okay, how am I going to finish my last chapter? (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I love everybody's, everybody's stories. 
you know, it's, I think it's so cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, mine's been a lot of wandering. Um, how, how did you wind up being a therapist? That's not a conventional thing for Asian Americans or Japanese Americans to do. Yeah. It's actually something I didn't know was a service people used. I didn't even know therapy um, mm-hmm. was a thing. I mean, I heard of psychiatry growing up, you know, everyone goes, I think within my family culture, it's you go to the doctor, you know, when you're not feeling well. So I knew psychiatry and medicine. Um, but as far as therapy, um, you know, and I'm a kid of the eighties um, too. So think back to, you know, what messages were like back then when it comes to mental health, mental illness, I, I didn't know people went to therapy. So I am um, very organized. I've always had office jobs, front desk. I love those. Um, mm. And what ended up happening was when I was in my early 20s, I saw a job post um, for an admin scheduler type position. I applied, mm-hmm. did the interview, and it was actually for a therapist in private practice. Mm. And so that was how I learned about therapy and of people using, you know, um, services for, you know, for their mental health. I I didn't know what I applied for. Like I know I applied for the what the job tasks were, but I didn't know what therapy was. And um, I could tell the person didn't like knew I didn't know what exactly she did. Uh, but she she was so nice, you know, and I had a lot of energy and I love being organized. And she's like, I feel good about this. You know, I feel good about you. I'd, I'd like to, you know, have you work here. So she hired me on the spot. I think knowing that I didn't know everything. And um, so when I started working for her, that's when I learned what therapy was and that people called in for help. And um, and she worked, she was a psychologist, but she also worked with like intimacy, relationships, all that kind of stuff. So a lot mm. of couples and relationship work. And it was through that where I'm like, oh, like people reach out for help therapy is a thing and mm-hmm. therapy is something that people use like when they're experiencing challenges like in their life or in their relationships so it was super transformative especially since I was a scheduler so I'm like oh what are you calling mm-hmm. in for and I'd hear it all and I'm like wow so you could do that I didn't know until then that you you could do that and at the time, I had already been accepted to a health and human services program, a really good one. And I was going to do public health track. So that would have been very interesting during this time. Mm-hmm. Um, first semester in, I was like, this isn't, you know, really for me. I wasn't too interested in it. And so what always stuck in the back of my mind um, was the therapist that I worked for in private practice. I worked for her for, I think, a year and a half. And I'm like, that was really cool. I want to do that. Mm-hmm. So... I changed my major to psychology and I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do whatever I can mm-hmm. to get to the point where I also own my own private practice, you know, and, and I help others and, you know, others also, you know, with AAPI or mm-hmm. community, because I, it was like eye opening for me. So that's yes. how, that's how this all happened. It was just a kind of this one experience that I had that just opened up everything for me. Yes. But how did your family react? Um, they, my, my mom was always like my cheerleader. She was always super supportive of like everything that mm-hmm. I do. Everybody else, they were kind of like confused. <laughs> Just like how I was like, what? You know, cause in my family, um, especially one of them my family is very academic. I mean, okay. doctors, engineers as well. I like kind of more like that, you know, ed- you education. Um, sure. So this was like, they're like, okay. But I mean, 
they didn't, I could tell also they didn't know what it was. And even still, you know, okay. um, not really knowing the nuances of what I do, but there was never anything like I felt bad about or anything. It was okay. just definitely unknown territory for them. So it's interesting also doing this work um, and also having people that may not know the full, like the ins and outs mm-hmm. of like, when you're a teacher, like you, you, you know what those things yes. are. And what I did, what I do is so different that they're like, okay, kind of understand, not really, you know? Yes. Well, so much of it is behind this curtain and this veil of uh, ignorance and just not knowing. And then with our Asian American cultures, there's this shame and stigma so that we don't want to learn more about it. And it's just really uncomfortable. And meanwhile, there's been a lot that American society has learned about shame through best-selling author Brene Brown. But there's a whole nother layer, many layers and nuances as Asian Americans and Japanese Americans. And that's the kind of conversations we've been having here at Erasing Shame is unpacking that and demystifying it and cutting past the jargon because there's a lot of psychological jargon too. And so I'd be curious to find out what what has been helpful for you as you work with Japanese Americans in particular to help them get that first appointment? Because the first meeting is really, really hard, given all their family and cultural background. Yeah, I do a lot. Um, so there's many things. Like one is like the blogs that I write. Um, I'm essentially putting out the words for others. I remember when I reflect, mm. I reflect back when I was younger, I didn't have the words for a lot of things that I was experiencing because, you know, I didn't have it modeled. They didn't have this modeled for me, you know, how to identify emotions and really kind of go with it and, you know, express it and, you know, reflect on it. So I think um, one, it's the blogs that I do and the content that I put out and just putting out the information. And I think coming from mm-hmm. someone who is API is maybe, you know, helpful for some because there's like an API therapist, like talking about these things. Um, And then also just really, you know, clarifying any, you know, misconceptions and also maybe even um, standards or expectations, you know, that have been, I think, placed upon us forever um, Mm -hmm. that may not always serve. You know, I always think like with Japanese Americans too, especially like the whole like model minority, you know, myth. And I, and I even fell into that myself where like keeping it all together or looking like I'm okay, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I reflect back to even, you know, my, my grandparents, you know, even part of the Nisei, um, you know, on one side of my family is like, you, that's what they did. Like you just, you know, you kind of have it all, have it all together. Don't really like talk about things. And that's what I experienced growing up was like, it, it, I got different messages on not talking about things. So it's giving people the words, even if it's through something that they may read, you know, on my website. Um, and then when people do call, you know, call me for services, you know, I really just thank them and I, and for reaching out. Cause I know that takes a lot of strength. Um, mm-hmm. and I mean, sometimes people are looking for like three, four months before they even make that phone call you know, and really like honoring that. Like, I appreciate that this is a really big step for you, whether or not you go with me or somebody else, you know, and just giving them a lot because even my, my thing is whether or not someone starts therapy with me, I feel like that first phone call though is huge. And that is the start to everything for somebody, Mm -hmm. even if they decide to go elsewhere for services. So I'm going to make sure that they have a validating and empowering experience, even through that phone consultation. Yes. 
Well, it took me nearly a decade for me to get my first counseling appointment. And so I was what you might call high functioning. And I always felt sad and depressed. That was just my default emotion. But I didn't know that you could get help to get out of that because I was still getting good grades and I was still holding the job. And so I'm functioning. What, what's the problem? And from a survival mentality, you know, that might be okay, but you're definitely giving up a lot of quality of life and struggling unnecessarily when, when there is help. Yeah. And that's a huge, um, it's a huge challenge. Cause I think, you know, and I hear it a lot where it's like, um, and that's sometimes one of the kind of things I, I work through with people is, you know, being like, quote unquote, bad enough, or it has to be like, look a certain mm -hmm. way for, for, to receive help, or for it mm -hmm. to matter, you know, and for everything, you know, it's, it's a spectrum. But I always say, like, if you're feeling it, it matters. And it's no mm. work, you know, I think of it kind of like a check engine light, you know, like, <laughs> you know, if your oil's low, you know, or that, that light comes on, yeah, the car will still run, you know, but like, how are you feeling? Like, I wonder how that car's doing as they're moving along, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what a therapist can help diagnose. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. That, that's the expertise you bring. And then you can um, provide different mo uh, modalities, as they say, <laughs> different techniques mm -hmm. to bring about healing and wellness. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's a buzzword that's kind of swimming around these days on the interwebs culturally competent and race conscious therapy. Now you've, you've got a couple degrees in uh, psychology, but perhaps it didn't really equip you with the layers of being Asian American and Asian cultures. So what have you learned over your past decade of working with Asian Americans and being Asian American yourself? Yeah, I feel like there's a lot to learn from others. You know, when I reflect back, mm -hmm. even on my courses, whether undergraduate or graduate, Asian American section was small and mm -hmm. I felt like it needed to be a lot longer <laughs> um, yes. because, you know, as, as even as I referred to in the beginning, like there's a lot of, there's some similarities, but there's also a lot of differences. And I think when I'm, when I'm working with um, clients or the people that I meet or colleagues or whoever, I'm always keeping that in mind. Like, yeah, you know, I'm Japanese American, you know, and I, I kind of know, you know, from personal experience and educationally what things may look like. But I also want to make sure that I'm attending to the uniqueness of someone's experience, because it could even be, I can be sitting across from a, a fellow Japanese American, and theirs could actually be quite different, even the family mm. dynamics, you know, which is a huge <laughs> part of things. Yes. So I keep that in mind, where it's like making sure not to even generalize my, my own, you know, those that are, um, you know, like me, and and just really sitting with them and getting to know their unique story and what it mm -hmm. may have been like for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I've been in uh, therapy for nearly 20 years because I manage my bipolar disorder. And I'm very grateful for that support, very grateful for the medication that I need to be well-regulated. And I'm in a good season right now, so grateful to... Uh, experience life with less struggle because I, I know what it's like to be in the midst of heavy struggle for years, uh, months and years also. Um, and one of the things I appreciate about 
a therapist who's Asian American versus non-Asian, and I've worked with both, is I spend less time explaining myself because they already understand the cultural background and the family dynamics. Whereas when I've worked with non-Asians, it's like I spend two or three or four sessions just explaining myself. And, and well, it's, it's kind of a waste of time and money in that sense. And then they don't really get it because they, they haven't had that lived experience. And that's such a valuable thing. So yeah. thank you for doing what you're doing. Yeah. And, and two, thanks for saying that, you know, in, in sharing that, you know, cause, cause yeah, there is that peace, you know, that understanding and, and also, you know, how that informs the work that we do, you mm-hmm. know, you know, yes. taking in those things. And, you know, like you said, those modalities, you know, also making sure that, um, you know, it is um, competent, you know, sensitive and, you know, actually a match for, um, or how will it be a match, you know, for the client and their experience and their journey. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my burning question is, uh, knowing that you have a interest and you've really focused on helping others with bipolar disorder, particularly bipolar one, help me understand the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two. I'm bipolar two. Okay. Yeah. I mean, the big one is um, what you had mentioned where, um, you know, you had said like still working, you know, you know, functional in a way. So the biggest difference between bipolar one and bipolar two is, is that, I mean, one is the timeline of, um, uh, the manic hypomanic, um, episode, like the days, you know, is it lasting a week or less than that? Um, but a, a big thing is that the functionality, um, where someone who's living with bipolar two, they may not know two for a while because, um, you know, working fine, getting things done, the, the moods, you know, feeling different. Um, and in some ways, some, sometimes the hypomania helps with the work, you know, mm-hmm. increases that sometimes it make enhances it. Um, so it's mainly comes down to the functionality and that like, you know, those, those still, you know, for the most part do work relationships, all that, but they will still be distressed. So it's not taking away, you know, I want to kind of make sure not to compare too much. It doesn't take away from the distressing experience of an episode. It's just the functionality looks different. Whereas the bipolar one, there will be a lot more heavy um, impairment or significant things that have happened um, when it comes to job, relationships, daily life, even maybe mm-hmm. and taking care of themselves. So that's, that's the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sounds like, sounds like bipolar one's more severe. I mean, when struggling with some episodes, some would say so. I kind of, I, that's or why a I difference like, in duration. Yeah. So the difference in duration and maybe okay. how much it impacts the person's life, but okay. So you know, but for both, it is still very distressing to experience. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're both very hard. I'm, I, I've read the DSM five, which is the diagnostic manual, and I, I just can't figure out how to decipher it in a way that I can understand without the extra training. So I was just curious. Well, why even have one and two when they're both, <laughs> they both describe the same, um, similar kinds of symptoms, similar kinds of struggle. And that's why they're both bipolar, mm-hmm. but there's also the one and two. So yeah, uh, one, one does have some distinguishing marks and vice versa. Yeah. It's, it's a spectrum, you know, and yeah. Okay. You know, and 
And I think, um, you know, as far as your question, like, why even have it? Like, I mean, it's purposes are, are for something different, you know, like insurance mm -hmm. and that really, I mean, it's, ah. it's, that's like a whole nother thing. Um, yes, it but, is. But yeah, yeah. Mm. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for adding some focus on that. And uh, I do really appreciate how much content you do put online. And one of my favorite things that you've put online, and I don't know what you're thinking is uh, going forward is conversations with therapists. Mm. I thought that was wonderful. Just how you answer each question and it's bite-sized and it's clear. So thank you for doing that. And now you're doing, you're still doing two podcasts. How do you find the energy to do your two podcasts? Tell us about each one. Yeah. Thank you. So, uh, I have two, like you said, so one is books between sessions. Um, I started that in 2018, I believe, um, cause I'm a huge book reader. Um, and that one, I didn't intend to be a podcaster. I'm a podcast listener. I was doing vlogs, like the ones you saw in conversations with the therapist on, on YouTube and uh, somebody, uh, two people, one was a therapist and one was somebody in education was like, you do all these vlogs why don't you do a podcast? And I'm like, why would I do a podcast? I don't really want to do a podcast. But I thought about it for, for like four months. And I was like, you know what? Why not? You know, I think that'd be great. Another way to like put out um, content. So I, I started Books Between Sessions because um, mainly they, it focuses on mental health and mental illness books. And there's so mm -hmm. many good ones out there, even ones for middle grade and like young adults. So there's so many books that I want people to know about, which is why I started that podcast. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had been reading a ton of books anyways. And then this year, um, February, the first episode for Open Mind Night came out. That's my second podcast. And that one is just more general and where I get to talk with people who have lived experience or professionals or companies. So uh, Books Between Sessions is very specific and I speak with authors. I wanted to catch a wider audience. And with this pandemic also just, connect with more and this is also my way to yeah. do this podcasting mm -hmm. world um yes. well, yeah well at the same time um putting out even more content with like all different types of topics all different lived experiences and you don't have to be an author for that so it's been okay. fun um it is a lot of work uh fortunately mm -hmm. i'm super organized i have a system and a workflow for everything. And I um, structure my time. I have certain blocks of the week that I'm doing specific things. If it wasn't for that, this would be really hard because I'm like a one woman show here. I, yeah. I do it all. I do the promotions. I do the audio editing. Uh -huh. I, I mean, wow. I, I outsource for video editing, but so I've used technology to my advantage too. So every, mm -hmm. a lot of things are streamlined and it's just mm -hmm. me really adhering to my schedule. And, and also to like open my night, I'm just starting to record for again. I bulk recorded a ton of episodes back uh, uh. in 2021 before it went live. Uh -huh. I took a few months break. So, you know, yeah. for me, things, everything I'm doing is self-imposed and all these deadlines sure. are imposed. So I use that to my advantage where if I'm feeling tired, you know, all right, you know, I don't have to, I don't mm -hmm. have to right now. I can just chill mm -hmm. or, or do whatever. So also keeping in mind what works for me and making sure to really check in with myself because I get mm. I'm super driven. I get very excited mm. about doing these creative things. So I have to make sure to monitor, actually to tone myself down um, and monitor. But yeah, so organization I think is, is the best is the best thing and has helped me um, has helped me get through it really. Mm 
Fantastic. Well, talking about books, what's on your nightstand? Share share oh a couple gosh, of titles with us. I have so many. So grab a few. Let's hear some titles. Because yeah. these are ones I'm actually watching these for. Uh-huh. I'm like the game in one of them. This one. That's okay. Crying H Mark. Oh yes. So I'm currently reading this. Um, uh huh. The memoir. It's it's about like grief and loss. Um, yes. She's also a a, a singer. Um, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm part of the Asian Mental Health Collective on the board of that. And we just had a online conference on May 1st um, called Transformation. And she was one of our panelists. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I'll add a link in the show notes and it was recorded. So you can also watch uh, her um, in a live conversation. I want to, I'm definitely going to watch that. And then this one. (laughs) Adult children of emotionally immature parents. Play mm. here. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is like self help. I'm actually reading this for my podcast, um, but also just in in general. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, what the adults could Important. be doing. Yeah. Yes. This one right. of your face. Um, oh. Fiction. Um, yeah. This is a. This is a. I'm in chapter two. It's pretty heavy. Okay. Uh, Muslim American. There's like a. Uh huh. Unfortunate thing that happens at a school mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. all that. And then this is actually, okay. nice idea. oh, I think I'm going to read, you know, maybe more API, you know, books. So I'm going to mm-hmm. read this is actually one of the ones I'm reading. Oh, school. yeah. That one's gold. Yes. Yeah. The Making so is, of Asian America. Airplane. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is my May must finish book. Started. It's so perfect now. month to read that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So these are the books and, you know, I, I'm surrounded by them all the time. So, you know, yes. <laughs> I'm always reading multiple books at one time, too. So. Yes, I, I have a habit of that, but it's not a big habit. I've found myself gravitating more towards audiobooks and podcasting because I can uh, listen to those with my eyes closed. I, I use my eyes all the time being at work because I'm in computer work, you know. So, mm-hmm. well, to close, what do you do for self care? You've mentioned being organized, you like to read. What do you do for your body? Because there's a physical part of our self care that I, I'm discovering is really important yeah. so for me. It's walking and breathing. I do a lot of walking um, with, mm-hmm. you know, being spring now, I'm going to try to get back into hiking. I used to hike a lot um, when I, especially when I went up to school, went to school up in NorCal, I did tons of hiking. Um, so I want to get back into that since the weather's nice. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm organized, especially with my time. So I have kind of like a daily routine. Um, I don't do any work before 11 a.m. Just because I like my mornings to hang out and listen to music and slowly drink nice. coffee. Um, and I monitor myself with my work. You know, I, I don't see more than five clients a day. I'm done. And then I make sure to keep connections with my friends even now, you know, and um, I have like my nighttime routine. I do a lot of more restorative calming type of mm. activities to kind of wind down. Mm. Like even like this, like for me, candles is like a huge thing too. Um, so being an organized person, I have blocks of time for self-care. And when I'm just not doing work, my days off are my days off. I'm not even logging onto my email, you know, because mm-hmm. when I see something, I'm like, okay. And, you know, I could easily just, just go with it. So getting outside, seeing people, doing something. I actually, um, one of my plans for the next few weeks, I have to look into it. I want to try to learn archery, you know, like hunger. Wow. I've been wanting that for a while. 
you know, uh, but during the pandemic, I was like, oh, I'm not really going out, you know, um, just something like random and fun, you know, so I yes. try to keep it um, kind of not sporadic, but I try to weave in like fun things because I used to be super physical. NorCal, I was rock climbing, hiking, I was doing kickboxing. I am more of an Whoa. active person, but not like a gym person. Like I have to be doing things that are like kind of fun, you know? Yeah, not just um, not just routine, like pumping I, iron yeah yeah now i can't at all i like to you know, especially with nature or just being outside uh -huh, uh -huh. i love that so i'm um that's something i've been getting more back into mm -hmm. that's so amazing well i'm energized uh hearing kind of living to you vicariously i don't quite have the energy to be that physical but i do uh walk and peloton and oh, hike yeah. so so um that's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining me for this lively conversation. And I know you're active online. Uh, for our audio listeners, would you go ahead and say your web website address, your Instagram, and anywhere else you're active? Yeah. My uh, private practice website is therapy.com. And then I have Instagrams for everything. So uh, same thing, Instagram, robintominahatherapy, uh, books between sessions, same handle for social media, including Instagram. We have a website, so booksbetweensessions.com. Um, and then Open My Night, that Instagram is Open My Night Pod, P-O-D. Um, and everything, there's also links in, in the bio for all of those to, um, to access anything. So definitely check everything out. I, I put out a lot of blogs um, too, every, every once in a while, just, you know, and all these things are free you know, to keeping yes. that in mind. Um, so I, I do that for a reason, you know, I feel like, um, you know, part of my purpose is to, to help, you know, and to help decrease de stigma and that, you know, it's yeah. okay. So definitely take advantage of all, you know, all these uh, free resources. Yeah. Know? Subscribe to Robin's email. She gives bonus content for members only. So yeah. thank you for doing that. Uh, again, the links to everything she just mentioned is going to be in the show notes at erasingshame.com. Subscribe and add a review on iTunes so that others can connect with our tribe of Erasing Shape. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next month.